and welcome back to Wrapped in Podcast. Today, we're going to have a special episode. We're going to call it episode 8.5. Jeff Fallis is here to provide an exegetical analysis of this is the water, this is the well. He's going to apply the tools of new criticism, the uh, premier school of literary criticism in the United States through the mid part of the 20th century. His qualifications to do so are he's got a PhD in English and creative writing from the, from the University of Georgia, a MFA in creative writing from the University of Virginia, and he has been teaching English at the college level for a decade. He's a, a professor at Georgia Tech uh, presently. Uh, so I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, JR. Uh, so uh, this in the last episode uh, of the podcast, we were discussing episode eight. I think I made like a offhand reference to this about the poem uh, that the woodsman reads uh, at the end of that episode. And I think Kyle, JR, you guys encouraged me to actually go through with it. Uh, so I did. And what, um, you know, in, in my day job, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching literature uh, in the college classroom, often this is a technique I'll turn to when we especially confront strange poems or texts that are difficult to figure out. And so, you know, basically, if when I feel like students confront a difficult poem whose meaning isn't necessarily self-evident, a new critical close reading can be a really helpful way uh, to do it. And I think as you uh, referred to, this method is kind of based on the practices of the new critics of the 1930s and 1940s, including people like John Crow Ransom, Cleanth Brooks, Alan Tate. Um, and this type of criticism basically emphasized very exacting, specific uh, explications of texts themselves, especially poems, instead of looking at things like historical and biographical context, readers' response to poems uh, or to texts, authors' intentions, etymology, derivation of words, stuff like that, it just looked at uh, literary works and poems really worked well for this as kind of autonomous things in and of themselves, and it paid really close attention to stuff like structure, form, paradox, ambiguity, irony, uh, and. Although the the politics of new criticism is a complicated thing, uh, I've and I, I think uh, you know taken too far. And you're right; like in the middle in the dom in the 20th century, mid part of the 20th century, this was really the dominant way literature was taught uh, and examined uh, in the college and high school classroom in the U.S. But I still feel like it's a good thing to do when you are trying to make sense of really stro strange, kind of gnomic, baffling poems, like the Woodsman's radio broadcast on. KPJK in New Mexico on August 5th, 1956 in episode eight of Twin Peaks to Return. So um, what I was going to do is we'll use, do a new critical reading uh, of the weird poem uh, that's delivered to us orally uh, on the radio, accompanied in part by the electrical crackling that seems to follow the woodsmen uh, wherever they go. So here's the poem. This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. 
the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Since we don't have an official written text to the poem, one of the first things we have to decide is where we would put the line breaks and therefore how we see the poem as being structured. One simple way, probably the simplest way, would be to let each individual sentence occupy its own line, with the first line being, this is the water and this is the well, second line being, drink full and descend, and the third being, the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. This works fine, but because of the strongly emphasized breaks in the middle of each line, what the Greeks and Latins called sejuras, I'm tempted to imagine the poem as being six shorter lines, structured something like what we might find in a modernist poem by T.S. Eliot or Ezra Pound, and something about the water well imagery, the abstraction, and the darkness and desolation of the mood of the poem did remind me a lot of some of Eliot's poems from the 20s, early 30s, like The Wasteland, The Hollow Men, and Ash Wednesday. Uh, this six-line structure allows us to sort of see and hear the sonic patterns of the poem a little more clearly uh, as well. But I think you can make a good case for either a three-line poem or a six-line poem based on the oral performance of the piece. I prefer six lines, and uh, I feel it emphasizes certain things more clearly, so that's what I'm going to go with. Jeff? we s- Yeah. How would you break up the six lines? Uh, the six-line break, it would be, this is the water, first line. And this is the well, second line, drink full, third line, and descend, fourth line. The horse is the white of the eyes, fifth line, and dark within, the sixth line. Um, And so I think those, like I said, those sejuras, those breaks sort of in the middle of each sentence seem to me where I would like to, to put the line breaks. We start with the very simple statement, this is the water and this is the well. This is a thing, water a liquid chemical compound, a source of life and sustenance, a fundamental element that's associated with cleansing, healing, and emotion. And this is where that water comes from, most likely. A well, a structure to get water out of the ground for human use by digging, drilling, often using pumps and buckets. Uh, The language and structure of the two lines mirror each other exactly, uh, making us want to connect water and well as related to each other. Water comes from the well, the well is the source of the water, whichever way you want to conceive of it. And yet there's already potential ambiguity at work. You could also argue the poem is saying that these two things, the water and the well, although related, are separate from each other. Uh, And at times it seems like the woodsman is putting a special emphasis on the second this in some of his readings of the poems, if to imply uh, the separation of the two things. Uh, But the first sentence, or as I uh, prefer uh, to think of it, the first two lines uh, of the poem are relatively straightforward. We have water, we have a well, there's some sort of connection between them, implied both by the language of the poem, uh, as well as what we know about how water and wells are related to each other. The next two words, um, or what I see as the third line of the short poem, follow directly uh, from the water and the well. We get an imperative sentence uh, that commands an implied you to drink full, apparently from the water from the well. The slant rhyme uh, of full with well further connects the statement orally with the previous line of the poem, and it would do so even if there wasn't a continuity of imagery and action. Furthermore, we get in drink full what's called a spondy, two stressed syllables back to back that force you to pay attention to what's being said. The fact that this is a command to the implied listener of the poem already makes it have uh, some sort of impact, but the fact that it's in the form of a spondy drink full, heightens that impact further and makes you pay closer attention to the words. 
making most readers or listeners slow down and lending sort of a sense of expectancy, heightened emotion, uh, compression to the words. Uh, The implication is for the listener of the poem to really slow down and drink in this water from the well, to imbibe deeply and expectantly, to really take it in. Uh, The sound and form of the poem, again, as well as its literal meaning, all seem to lead us to this moment of action, drinking, communion, uh, which also happens to lead us exactly to the poem's halfway point. And then the poem changes and seems to start doing a very different thing. What happens next in the poem reminds me of uh, another poem by Emily Dickinson. I felt a funeral in my brain whose last stanza begins with the lines, and then a plank in reason broke, and I dropped down and down. Now, this allusion to another poem violates new critical principles strictly, but nevertheless, I wanted to mention it. Uh, We drunk full from the well, and unexpectedly, we are commanded to descend. Have we fallen down the well? If so, to descend seems like a very understated way to describe what would be a violent and unexpected plummet. Descend seems to imply a slower, more purposeful motion, like what would happen if we sank into a swamp or a tub of hot water, not a well. There's also something sinister about it. Uh, It's unexpected and off-putting, and we're thrown from the sense of fullness we would expect from drinking full at a well, which would often be followed by just rest, stasis, lack of motion, to a surprising uh, command uh, to move downward. Um, I'm trying hard here not to be reminded of the woodsman's incredibly disturbing delivery of the poem and the circumstances under which he does so while crushing the skull of the night DJ at a New Mexico radio station and just examine the poem. Uh, but it's, it's hard not to think of those circumstances. So I'm, I'm worried here in my close reading that I might be <laughs> uh, not strictly looking at things, but I still think that movement from drink full to descend uh, is off-putting. Uh, the first syllable of descend is definitely accented, uh, but I'm inclined to read the word itself as another spondy, with both syllables descend being accented, linking the command back to the previous command to drink full. Again, though, there's something slippery, unexpected about the line, and the descent it urges seems uh, willed by the speaker of the poem, perhaps unwilling uh, for the listener. Uh, the well might be poison. The clarity of the water might be in question. To quote Thomas Pynchon in The Crying a Lot 49, it's about this point in the, it's a play in Pynchon's novel, we'll substitute poem here, in fact, that things really get peculiar and a gentle chill and ambiguity begins to creep in among the words. Descent is often associated with lowering one's status socially or spiritually, and in the West, one descends into the underworld, into Hades or hell. The connotations of the word generally aren't positive, and in the context of the poem so far, with its interest in water and drinking and wells, its appearance is strange and disturbing, out of context somehow. We don't associate descending with water often, and definitely not with wells. In the final sentence, our last two lines of the poems, of the poem, things get even stranger and more oblique and abstract. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Where does this horse come from, and what is it doing in the poem? I'm purposefully avoiding discussing the white horse as it relates to the world of Twin Peaks. The only connection I could think of is the saying, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, which means more or less that you can't make people do what they don't want to do. Even with this connection, the appearance of the horse in the poem is sudden and even more disconcerting than the imploration to descend. 
The jump from line four to line five is confusing and jagged. And you could argue that the poem is in another place in time and space altogether. So tenuous is the connection between the horse and the water in the well. What's being said in the line is also ambiguous and confusing. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Does this mean that this simply is a horse that's white in color, the same color as the whites of the eyes, but it's darker within in its muscles, organs, internal viscera, as most animals are? More likely, it's a metaphor. Uh, and a complex paradoxical one at that. We don't get the connection between horse and white of the eyes in the form of a simple simile. The horse looks like the white of the eyes, or the horse seems like the white of the eyes. But instead, we get the more difficult to interpret jump cut of the metaphor. The horse is the white of the eyes. The white of the eyes is called the sclera, and it's the outer layer of the eye that consists of collagen and elastic fiber. Human eyes are some of the only animal eyes with plainly visible white sclera, with the smaller iris being more visible in humans because of this. Um, Horses do have white sclera that's more visible than in many other animals, uh, but not nearly as much as in humans. And I think one of the kind of things I was thinking about was how I think sometimes when horses are scared, you can see the whites of their eyes, the sclera of the eye more clearly. Um, I'm also reminded of the saying, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes, but don't know exactly what to do with it. Looking at the whole sentence, the implication is that the horse is dual in some way. White on the outside and, not but, which we might expect, uh, dark within. The end rhyme of within with descend links the two lines, and it makes that kind of contrast between the more direct first half of the poem, which kind of had uh, that like I said, slant rhyme of full and well, these more rounded kind of sounds and the kind of more clipped um, sound uh, more of the more oblique second half of the poem within and within and descend. Um, you see that division, I think, more clearly if you just pay attention to sort of uh, the rhymes. Uh, the horse, whatever it stands for, is both white and dark at the same time. Uh, but for me, what stands out more in the mind, uh, I guess, in the ear as the poem ends is descend and dark within because they're more heavily accented uh, and emphasized by the rhyme scheme and structure of the poem. Those seem to stand out to me more than the horse and the white of the eyes. The movement of the poem as a whole is towards a sort of dark descent within after the sense of fullness and satisfied thirst that it reaches at its halfway point. Uh, The obliquity and kind of abstraction of the poem remind me of modernist poems I said earlier, but the simplicity and sing-song nature of its language and the elemental nature, elementary nature, I guess you would say, of its primary images, water, well, horse, remind me of nursery rhymes and lullabies, maybe even if you want to push it, of William Blake's nursery rhyme-like songs of innocence uh, and experience. It's an invitation to the listener to drink fully and go down into something but for what purpose uh, is unknown. Uh, and it kind of concludes with this sort of Zen Cohen-like image of duality that's impossible to quite untangle finally. But it does end on that note of an inward movement into darkness. And there's something about this that sits uneasily. Uh, and I think my notes uh, after episode eight about the poem just said a sinister lullaby. And I think that's, I, I still stick with that uh, interpretation of it. So that's about all, I had prepared for that. Uh, like I said, I think you could read it different ways, but this was just one where I was just because it's so odd and kind of disconcerting and repeated so many times. I thought it might be nice to just do a reading like that where you mainly looked at 
the imagery, uh, the structure of this and the sound of it. So JR, any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Uh, it is almost impossible to separate the poem from its surrounding elements within the show. Um, you know, a, a lullaby for little baby amniotic Bob <laughs> in his, in his blob, his, his, his cow. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I thinking about the wide of the eyes expression, I believe, and I, it's probably apocryphal, but I think that that was actually attributed to like one of the militia folks at like the battle of Lexington and Concord. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of an, an order issued to the uh, Minutemen not to fire on the Redcoats till they got right up there in front of him. Yeah. So t- to me, I got th- this very claustrophobic notion of like, not only are you in a well, but there's a horse and it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right there next to you within, within, within this, this place. And of course, a lot of people have, have commented on the, the idea of the, the wide of the eyes being a reference to doppelgangers mm-hmm. uh, where we see doppelgangers in the red room. Definitely. Uh, they, they tend to have these like whited out eyes. We've seen that in Laura. We've seen that in Dale. I think we see that in Leland and the horse, of course, you know, we've seen, uh, right before uh, someone is murdered, yeah, uh, by by you know some sort of emissary of, of the Black Lodge, and I think early on in the Twin Peaks Return, I think it's episode two, when the Good Coop is sort of making his way out of you know the Red Room after his twenty five years, he passes uh, a white horse as well, kind of on his way out. So yeah, but uh, it was Sarah Palmer who kept having the visions of it in the the early seasons, yeah. I didn't want to mention that, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I mean, it, 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 it violates the new critical um, imperative, but it, it, it's there. Well, I, I really enjoy that. And I think it is helpful to sort of pull the poem apart on its own terms before we decide to um, impose the meanings that we think that we're pulling from the show on, onto the poem itself. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention, uh, and this is from... Inland Empire, you know, uh, Lynch's kind of last completed film before Twin Peaks Return that came out in 2006. Uh, And I know you said you hadn't seen it yet, JR, but there's a great, this won't spoil too much, but there's a great little, like I said, I read it as a poem. I guess you could read it as a short, short story as well uh, in the poem that I feel like I want to say Grace Zabriskie delivers this, um, which is interesting uh, connection, the actress who plays Sarah Palmer. Uh, but I wanted to read this because I felt like it was uh, related to uh, the, this is a water, this is the well poem. And so it, it goes like this. A little boy went out to play. When he opened his door, he saw the world. As he passed through the doorway, he caused a reflection. Evil was born. Evil was born and followed the boy. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I think it's like a little, I feel like it's like a, like a pro, like a proverb or like a little parable or story that I want to say this again, imperfect memory from a film. I think I haven't seen in 10 years, but that Grace Zabriskie's character tells Laura Dern's character, who's an actress in the film. It's a little uh, story. And I think it's related to this kind of cursed film within a film that she's, uh, you know, trying out for a role in. So, but yeah, that, that reminded me a lot. It's about the same length and sort of the same structure of the, this is the water, this is the well pump. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's uh that's got a very mother goose quality to it. Yeah. You know, another thing that I wanted to mention is that when I sort of envisioned the, the reason why I, I tried to ask earlier before about how you broke it up into six lines, I viewed it as a five line poem. Oh yeah. With, with drink full and descend being its own line. 
Um, I, I see. Oh, I like I, that I think too. There, yeah, there, there, there's merit to both of the the two readings, uh, but just because I thought a two word line, uh, the, the the spondy didn't seem that strong mm-hmm. to me. But you know, that's a subjective opinion. And like I said. You know, that's, it's like you have to kind of structure it up because there's not an official text. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is that it is, you know, just delivered. Like, I think, you know, I guess we're calling it the, the Woodsman Poetry Slam, uh, the 1956 Poetry Slam right. at this radio what? station. Yeah. So we don't have, we don't have an official written version of it. So yeah, either your interpretation of it is just as good as mine. The, and then, and I think that line to me is the most critical mystery is who is the subject? Who is being ordered? Is yeah. it the other woodsman? Uh, is it the mm-hmm. moth frog? Is it the people who are uh, being lulled to sleep, like they drank from the river of Leith? That's who I read it to be. To be, yeah, like it's sort of because I think as he's reading it, we get these shots of kind of you know the waitress and and pop's diner and the mechanic in the garage, and then you know the the girl who had just had you know a kiss. Uh, you know, she, they all kind of look like they, you know are either getting lulled to sleep by this, like I said, sort of sinister lullaby, or even, you know, perhaps killed. Although it seems like the the girl at the end, you know, she's at least still alive and we get to see the the moth frog that crawls into her mouth over the end, you know, as the end credits roll. But yeah, I mean, I think in the, in the context of, um, you know, the episode, I read it as some sort of the woodsman as being in league with whatever the moth frog is. And by reading this poem, you know, uh, I guess dropping people off to sleep, lulling them uh, in some way so that evil can enter them. Uh, so again, it, it might not play out that way. Some people have kind of said that, you know, uh, it, it's it's it could be the orb of Laura. I didn't really read it that way. That seemed unlikely to me. Uh, I, I have trouble reading the locust frog or the moth frog as being a force of good. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I th- I, th- I kind of viewed it as possibly the you know, the water is uh, the human race or Garmin Bosia. Mm-hmm. Like this is to be feasted upon. Drink, you know, you know, drink drink now from the cup of human sorrow, and and that also totally makes right, sense. That, yeah. that, that this is that it's feeding time. You know, and and, yeah. and as an announcement, both you know, I don't know to the other woodsmen or uh, to 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 terrify humans to rec- to to recognize that they're now going to be you know, cattle for these uh, mm-hmm. otherworldly entities and, uh, you know, giving some bit of advice or ordering to the life of the newly hatched uh, frog bug. Um, yeah, yeah, you could go either way. And the white of the eyes, I felt like I, ha- I always associated that with fear, you know? So, and that, I was just like, I don't know why, but it, it just seemed, I guess, because you, you sometimes, like I said, I think with horses and some animals, if you do see the whites of their eyes, it's often because they're afraid. Right. Uh, and then, I guess, yeah. And then also that, like I said, the, the don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes, you know, like, uh, keep your fear in check in some way. Uh, there's some association with that there. Yeah. I but, think I need to, anyways, I need to go back and read, yeah. reread the excellent play Equus. <laughs> I've never read that play or, uh, or seen oh, the movie, it's, it's, but it's yeah, outstanding. It it's, I mean, I've actually, yeah. I don't know if I've seen the movie, but the, the, the play itself is, it's got Richard Burton in it, right? Uh, in that? I don't. I don't know. Sure. It's a great. It's a great yeah. play. It's definitely worth reading. Uh, but there's a lot of terror and um, in it, a lot of otherworldly terror. And I, I didn't. Ha- I didn't have a new critical reading uh, uh, prepared of the other most famous poem uh, in Twin Peaks, which is you know, 
In the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds, fire walk with me. Uh, but it's interesting that water is so important in this poem and fire is so important in the other one. So You know, it's funny, speaking of that poem, and I, I will just tie it up now, I think, but uh, I had thought that it had been essentially canonically established that it is chance, C-H-A-N-T-F-E-S, one chance out, as opposed to one chance, uh, meaning, you know, a game of chance. Uh, but yeah. but I have I recently I've seen people saying you know, that it could be either way. Do, do you do you come do you come yeah. down on that controversy one way or the other? I felt the same way as as you did. I thought it was one chance out uh, with chant c h a n t makes much more sense to me. Uh, chance out c h a n c e, which I've seen. You're right, both ways doesn't make as much sense to me. So I'm I'm on, I'm with you, and chant as enchanting. Yeah, I don't know if I have an opinion. I think I actually prefer chance. Because it seems less awkward um, for some reason uh, phonetically, but it, and that's what I thought it was originally back you know twenty five years ago when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> I also I also love how yeah you know for for whatever reason these spirits from Black Lodge White Lodge places in between um, they speak in poetry. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Okay, well thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, we're gonna finish up episode. 8.5 now we're going to record episode nine tomorrow night uh covering part nine of twin peaks the return yes uh, we're going to try to incorporate some uh great listener feedback we received but uh thanks for everybody everybody for joining us and thank you jeff for uh the really great work you did uh of course this 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 might be a one-off of jeff's exegetical alcove but you never know it depends on uh if twin peaks the return gives us more pumps which i definitely wouldn't put out of uh out of <laughs> the question at all episode episode 18 is going to be delivered entirely in like blank verse or something that'd be so. fantastic yeah no i hope that there'll be lots of room for uh jeff's uh, exegetical alcove in the future all right thanks everybody all right thank you and we'll i'll talk to you again tomorrow night jr and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see and i saw and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup Or disappear? Into the potter's ground When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching To the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying some are born and some are dying 
It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wigs The whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom Then the father hen will call his chickens home The wise men will bow down before the throne And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns When the man comes around Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. When the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks the whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks In measured a hundredweight and penny pound When the man comes around Sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. <laughs>